3: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, a psychiatrist in private practice and a faculty member at the University of Virginia. Each week, my guests and I talk about meaningful coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We discuss synchronicity from its many perspectives, spiritually, practically, and statistically. Why? To increase your connection to coincidences so that you can benefit from coincidence awareness in your daily life. I have written a book also called Connecting with Coincidence, Put the phrase Connecting with Coincidence in your browser to find my book, Psychology Today blog, website, and social media sites. If you want to know how sensitive you are to coincidences, go to my website to take the Weird Coincidence Survey. Our guest today is Joseph Jaworski, who has devoted much of his life to exploring the deeper dimensions of transformational leadership. As founder and chairman of both Generon International and the Global Leadership Initiative, Joseph advises CEOs and senior executives in Fortune 500 companies. He specializes in the design and execution of large scale organizational change, as well as strategy formation and implementation. He had a very successful career in international law before founding several businesses, including a life insurance company and an oil refining company. Working at Royal Dutch Shell, Joseph encouraged the company to use scenarios not merely to adapt to different possible futures, but to generate, that is to participate in bringing forth better futures. Joseph returned to the US as a senior fellow and member of the board of governors of the MIT Center for Organizational Learning. He is the author of the critically acclaimed international bestseller, Synchronicity, The Inner Path of Leadership, which is how I found him. Joseph's most recent book, Source, The Inner Path of Knowledge Creation, describes the process of generative discovery, which enables organizations, teams, and individuals to access the source from which truly profound innovation and discovery flow. Joseph currently resides in Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show, Joseph.
1: Oh, it's really good to be with you, Bernie. I'm, I'm happy to be here.
3: Well, thank you. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to start with how you got tuned in to coincidence, into synchronicity, please.
1: Well, I think the first... Real experience I had with this was when I was 18 years old, Bernie, I was a freshman at Baylor University, and uh, a Force 5 tornado came through the town. This was way back in 1953. It's the largest tornado that ever hit Texas. And just on instinct, after this sound of a 1,000 freight trains came through my apartment, my dorm, I uh, ventured out and as if I was sort of guided by a GPS system, and found myself at the uh, epicenter of, of where this tornado had come straight down downtown down Main street in downtown waco and and it just killed uh, hundreds of people and and injured you know almost uh, a thousand and I, I was in the process. I formed a team, and the six of us began pulling people out. And it was the way we worked together, as if we were a single intelligence, that first introduced me to the idea of synchronicity.
3: Wonderful story. I, I've seen pictures of that tornado hitting Waco um, Amazing, de- amazing devastation amazing devastation
1: it, just, it was like a, it, it was like a, a neutron bomb had had gone off it, it, you know buildings were had collapsed it, it was it was stunning
3: and somehow uh, and you use the term gps um, somehow you found your way to safety by uh, getting into the epicenter and that That human GPS idea is something that is very much a part of what I am writing about, that we have the capacity to get places that we need to be without knowing how we get there.
1: It's very true. I mean, I I, I look back at it. It was so many years ago, but I look back at it, and it's a very clear picture. Um, in, In the first place, why would I go out in the middle of, of, of a torrential rain when I looked out the window and there were live wires crackling all over the, the ground. I mean, why, why would anybody do that? And there wasn't an ounce of hesitation. I just made a beeline for this area, as I say, like I was guided. And so I look back on it, and I think this was part of my destiny yeah, because this, of yeah. what happened in the rest of my life.
3: And the, the sense of being guided. Uh, I, I'm assuming we're going to hear more about that in your life. And uh, I, to me, this is an important uh, human uh, capacity. That to be able to allow ourselves to be guided under the right circumstances. That we can trust enough or somehow let it happen. And we'll get more to that. But there, the second part of what you said was that... The group you formed or a part of worked as as if it were one mind. So I'm I'm yes. hearing I'm, I'm hearing how from that uh, you got to see organizations as potentially one
1: mind. Uh, that's that's exactly correct. Uh, we worked for eighteen hours straight, this little six person team, because things were so delicate. You couldn't bring in heavy equipment for the first phase of this rescue operation. And, and, uh, as, as we were working together, I was struck by the quality of that experience. In the first place, our premonitions were constantly true. We knew exactly where to go. And secondly, we, we, we were coordinated as if by invisible hands and, uh, and we were operating as, as you just said, as a as one intelligence. And so when it was over with, um, and I was able to rest and and begin to, to to reflect on what happened, I I decided that that was such an extraordinary experience that someday, I would try to find out how to do this without a crisis uh-huh. among people in organizations. And that was the beginning, of. Of all of the work that I did, and that's that's
3: that, I can I can see that as the as the seed for what you did, yeah. what you've done later, and then the rest of our conversation will elaborate on that. But first, I've I've got to ask you about the influence uh, that your father Leon Jaworski had on you.
1: Well, it was it was huge. It was everything. Um, I'll tell you, um, he didn't talk about it he didn't, uh, he wasn't explicit with me, but I followed him around. He and I were very close from the time I was born. And in those early years, I followed him around and emulated him. And I noticed that, uh, that he carried a little notebook around with him in his shirt pocket. And we would be walking on a trail at it. We had a family ranch or, uh, and he would just stop because some epiphany had hit him that came from a different place. And he would scratch it down really quickly. And he would say, I would say what I call him the Colonel because, because after world war two, he came back, he he, he was uh, organized the Nuremberg trials and tried the first five war crime trials in modern history. And I, all, all of his partners at the law firm called him Colonel, and I just picked that up, and I thought it was cute. So I, I called him Colonel. I said, Colonel, why would you do this? And he said, well, um, these are insights for my next trial, and if I don't write them down right now, I'll forget them.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just a little background, uh, your father as you just said, uh, organized the Nuremberg trials in which Nazis criminals were tried and convicted of uh, crimes against humanity. He also uh, was chief counsel in the Watergate um, affair. And and I assume that some of his notes that he took on these walks had something to do with each one of those uh, tremendous experiences that he participated in.
1: Yes, you know, really, I mean, I say this because I didn't have anything to do with it. He was one of the greatest trial lawyers in history. Yes, and both yes. in America and, and, you know, there in Europe. And, um, and, and I believe that, that some of the principles we're going to talk about today enabled him to do that. I, I know that in my heart. Yeah. And, and we can talk about, you know, some of those principles.
3: Yes, and, and we will talk about some of those principles. I just love the way he was talking in that Watergate trials, that kind of smooth, kind of just a southern boy talking about things. And he'd go right to the heart of major problems and and slit them open. It was amazing. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right.
3: It's amazing what he did. And so part of the fun of talking with you is connecting up those TV uh, Watergate Um, trial views of him with his son and trying to get some idea of the lineage that uh, you're part of and that you have inherited. It's a wonderful thing to be talking with you about him, as well as seeing how you've used some of his ideas and developed them.
1: (coughs) Yes. Well, thank you, Bernie. You know, um, when he was Watergate prosecutor, um, he would come to the ranch every 10 days or so, uh, two weeks. And uh, fly into Bergstrom here, and come on over to the ranch. And I was a young trial lawyer, and I would—he uh, uh, and I would spend two days together. I think he did that because he had inherited a staff of a hundred or, or so uh, lawyers, none of whom he knew well for the first several months yeah. after the Saturday night, so-called Saturday night massacre. Yeah, and he just wanted somebody who he trusted who he could be with and talk about what was developing and so i i had this bird's eye view on what was going on during that year and and it it was the most profound experience of my life
3: i that that's amazing and i'm i can see how it would be profound it 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 was a central, uh, central event in American history, and there you were talking with that nice man about what he was thinking about and watching him take those notes. What a beautiful experience for you and how it must have influenced how you've been later. Uh, and we will, we're we coming to... Um, I have about a minute left in this segment, so we're coming to the end of it, uh, I, and we'll go on to talk about more of this, but this... the. The eye, back to what happened to you in Waco in the in the tornado or uh, the hurricane. Um, tornado, yeah. It was, it was tornado, uh, yeah. That's tornado, what they have. Yeah. That's what they have in Waco. <laughs> Hurricanes yeah. are on the coast. Yeah,
1: these, these these are like you know in the east in the in the east of the world they call them cyclones, but yeah. uh, but this is a twister you know that comes right down and this one was a Force 5 twister that uh, was packing winds of of, uh, 325 miles an hour.
3: Wow. And there you were in the epicenter and afterwards, uh, almost like a swarm of bees uh, working together with some unknown uh, coordination. And that and to hear a human description of that is pretty amazing for me. We'll get back to that. We're coming to the end of this segment. Uh, we will be back after a short break talking with Joseph Jaworski.
2: xzbn.net. net
3: Welcome back to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Our guest today is Joseph Jaworski, and we are talking about organizations of very many different kinds and probably... I'm interested more in the individual because I'm a psychiatrist and do psychotherapy. Joseph is interested in the span from individuals to groups to organizations. And we just talked about that organization that somehow spontaneously developed after a tornado in Waco, Texas, when he was 18 years old. Tell us more about that swarm intelligence that you've learned about there and later.
1: Well, the, uh, the phenomenon happened automatically and I began noticing it uh, you know a few hours into the experience and uh, it had several hallmarks uh, I mentioned one is is that um, is that we we seemed to work like a flock of birds that you see flying geese let's say that uh, turn on a dime and they and there may be, you know, fifty geese, and and they seem entrained like they're connected to one another, and that that's and they turn and they entrain like that, so that's what what we were experiencing, and uh, without even speaking to one another, for example, uh, my instinct would say let's start here, let's work here, and and two other guys out of the team would would come over and we would do things together as if we were in and we never spoke to one another. We just, we just did this. Now, you, you see this in sports teams a lot, but nobody ever really talks very much about it. But they, uh, uh, it, it normally happens in the last two minutes of the game when everything is on the line and it's usually a championship team, people that really, really operate well together. And um, after Waco, as I got older, I began interviewing sports figures about this this experience and um, and uh, I, I began becoming quite aware in Super Bowl games and in uh, championship basketball games uh, ha- how this was happening. I spoke one time to friend Tarkington, who is the Hall of Fame quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, who, who won a, a, a Super Bowl uh, in the early days when I was young. And I asked him about this. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, when, when we get into the huddle and it's uh, those last two minutes, he said, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call the play. And, and by the time I'm under center, ready to receive the ball i can actually see the ball in the hands of the wide receiver before it ever gets there uh and he can see the same thing we're totally connected that way
3: that's that's wonderful description uh i played a little football myself so uh, i've had the experience of um imagining running for a Uh, the opening kickoff for a touchdown um, and did it a couple of times and in baseball, imagining hitting the first pitch of a game for a home run, I was a leadoff Uh, and that's as close as I can get to this, it's personal but to have the two uh, Tarkenton and the wide receiver tuned in to the same concept uh, that they would do it together, that is beautiful that is beautiful
1: Yes. Uh, another great description of it. I mean, the thing is, this happens all the time. This this is a really uh, it, it's not an unusual phenomenon. The problem is, most of these athletes can't talk articulately about it, or they don't write articulately about it. But one of the one of the greatest athletes of all time was Bill Russell, who was the center of the Boston Celtics when they won. In 13 years, they won 11 championships. Yeah. I mean, th- this is you know crazy. Yeah. And uh, and he wrote a book called Second Wind. Uh, and in that book, he wrote about these moments, and he was just highly articulate about it. He he said that uh, he he said in these moments when they began happening, he said, I knew beforehand every cut fake and pass that was getting ready to happen and it would surround me and all the members of my team and would also surround all the members of the other team i knew what was going to happen before it happened and my premonitions were consistently correct that's exactly what he said
3: wow wow uh, have you talked with uh, jazz musicians who have something in similar happening with them?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, so one of the greatest jazz mu- musicians, you know, was, was uh, a Brubeck, right? And uh, one of the members of his uh, ensemble is a good friend of mine, and so I didn't talk with Dave Brubeck myself, but I spoke with Robert Fritz, who was a member of his uh ensemble and and he told me all the same things that that this kind of uh experience would occur uh when they were when when they're were, were doing improvisation A- and it was the same kind of experience that athletes have yeah
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I so appreciate making the connection between uh, basketball and uh, jazz uh, because I felt the connection and now you are making it much more clear to me. So this this uh, entrainment experience you had as an 18 year old, um, why don't you take us to the next step of uh, synchronicity entrainment organizations uh, in your life?
1: Well, I mean, I can tell you it's sort of an interesting so i I'm, I would pick out a few things that 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 made just utterly transform my life. Some of these are interesting, you know, but like the Waco experience, utterly transformed my entire life, and I've been unpacking that and 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 working with the principals all the rest of my life but uh you know one interesting uh experience i had that was similar to this was i was i was working in houston and i went to a a lecture it was sort of a book club that a a number of business leaders had gathered together and we did it once a month and uh the guy that was speaking his name was norm duncan he's a guy i knew slightly. He wasn't one of my best friends, but I knew him. I knew what he did. And he was up there talking about the fact that he had been invited. He was a, he, he was, uh, a senior officer at, at uh, Shell Oil Company, which is the North American division of Royal Dutch Shell. And he was invi- had been invited by the uh, management team in London to come and join their scenario team, which was developing uh, scenarios for the future because they had these enormously expensive projects and they needed to determine the best way they could what was going to unfold over the next 30 years when this project had to pay out. Yeah. He had been um, invited... To come and he was lecturing to us about scenarios and and he ran over and when it was over with i was running out the door because i was late for another meeting and there was no i had no business stopping and talking to him but i found my body just moving toward him and i stopped by and i said norm what you talked about today was the most amazing awe-inspiring experience i've had in a long time i would just love to do what you're getting ready to do and i shook his hand and i said good luck and i ran out the door now i never gave it another thought but three years later um, i received a call from london uh, from the person that worked directly for the chairman of royal dutch shell which then was one of the largest and most successful companies in the world. And she said that she wanted to come down and speak with me about uh, joining the Shell team. Well, I had no clue where this idea came from, but she came down and it turns out that Norm Duncan, this, this guy who I spoke with for 30 seconds, was working in London when the chairman of the company happened to sit down next to him, and he mentioned to Norm that he was wanted to to find uh, an outside person to lead the scenario team, who who had a very different take on the world. Why don't you tell us and what Norm a scenario
3: what what a scenario is? So.
1: Well, I a scenario you- team a scenario team develops. Two or three stories uh-huh. about the future, uh, and uh, it takes two or three years to, to really do this really well. And then they write up these stories, and they go and present them to management teams and all the different companies in 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 the uh, in the parent company, and they help them imagine, just like you were talking, imagining. It helps them imagine what it is that's going to unfold over the next twenty years or thirty years and and when it starts showing up since they've lived in that experience they they can react a lot more quickly
3: because they've already anticipated what was going to happen.
1: exactly and even better than in than reacting it's it's uh, helping them to imagine a particular future that they'd like to create. And so that's the kind of scenarios that I developed, which was uh, with what were visionary scenarios. Just like you were saying you imagined being uh, hitting the first pitch, uh, th- this was a future you wanted to create. And this is what I taught them to do. And uh, that's the kind of scenarios they've developed ever since.
3: Uh, you've probably heard of the book, The Secret, uh, that uh, talked about some of the same ideas.
1: Yes, I have.
3: Uh, uh, and to hear it being a p- applied in a systematic way to organizations, because The Secret is kind of, to me, all over the place, and what you can imagine and what can happen is it, it over promises. This, what you're talking about, is a deliberate, focused um, uh, Try, try it out and see if it makes sense uh, and talk with other people about it and creating futures for a company for a group for, and obviously for an individual that 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 I, I, I just love hearing that this is being applied to uh, in a macro situation other than for individuals and done in a in a systematic and careful way it might be useful to talk about how you do that how you do that but we're coming uh, to the end of this segment and the idea of imagining futures and helping to make them happen is so important, not only for individuals and organizations, but as I think we'll get to the human race and the earth itself. So we're coming to the end of this segment. We'll be back after a short break talking with Joseph Jaworski.
1: Welcome,
3: welcome back to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Biteman, MD. Our guest today is Joseph Jaworski, who is about to finish the story that we were talking about in the last segment.
1: Yes, um, Bernie, what, what I was saying was that uh, uh, the chairman of, of Royal Dutch Shell uh, happened to sit next to norm duncan the person that i had uh, spoken to you know for 30 seconds as i was running out the door
3: spontaneously the gps drawn to him you don't know why but you did okay and there
1: yeah that's exactly right i mean I, i looked back on it after after many years and i was wondering what was my body doing going over there when i was 10 minutes late for an important meeting but but it turns out that the chairman asked Norm, he was making a comment more than anything else. He was saying, I'm, I'm looking for the head of the scenario team who has a really different perspective on the world, and I want somebody from the outside. And Norm looked at him and said, you need to contact Joseph Jaworski. And, of course, the chairman said, I don't even know who he is. He said, well, look him up. So ultimately... The chairman decided to contact me. I took the job, and that utterly changed my entire life. And, and the reason my life was changed, because of the 30-second conversation I had with, with Norm Duncan, which I never intended to have.
3: Yep. Yep. Love this. Love it. Love it. Let's, let's go to um, that amazing series of uh, coincidences that uh, are related to uncovering the U-theory.
1: Oh, okay. Well, um, so we, uh, our firm had been asked by a, uh, a group of three major oil companies to help them discover the source of the entrepreneurial impulse. Uh, these three big companies had come together. And they realized that their competition were these uh, smaller companies that were agile and nimble and entrepreneurial. And they considered themselves, quote, as elephants, whereas these other ones were like gazelles. And they asked us to discover the source of the entrepreneurial impulse. And, uh, And so I went off with one of my colleagues from MIT, on this research project to, to try to figure that out and um, the first step was to create a prioritized list uh, of, of uh, the people in in my network who I could go and interview who were thought leaders uh, every every everything from physicians to scientists to business leaders and what have you And I had a list of 25 people that I had put together, and I would worked late until maybe it was almost, it was a little bit after 10, actually, and I had been on the phone with my assistant, who was at her home, and I was uh, naming all these people, and we hung up, and I I hadn't even eaten dinner, and I was running out the door, um, because I was not only hungry, but I, I wanted to go home and be with my family. And... I was halfway out the door, and I, on impulse, just looked over to my left and saw this magazine that I didn't really know. It was called Fast Company. And just on impulse, I just picked it up. Again, it was like these other incidences. It was not a rational thing to be doing. But anyway, I picked it up, and I opened it up. And there facing me was a... An article. It was a sidebar article by a person they were interviewing. He was a famous economist named W. Brian Arthur, and he was saying, um, "When you are making the big decisions in your life, you have to go to that deeper place of knowing." And I, I just, it was jaw dropping to me because my all. Every fiber of my body said, this is the guy I need to talk to. But it was not so rational. I just closed the door, ran over to the phone, got my assistant on the phone again, and I said, Susan, forget the list I just gave you. Put this guy's name at the very top, Brian Arthur. And I told her a little bit of why, and then I left and went home And the next week, I was in Palo Alto doing some interviews, and she was having trouble reaching this guy. And I'll never forget, I was with my colleague, Otto Scharmer, and we were driving in a Mustang. I'll never forget this. And and all of a sudden, my cell phone rang, and it was Susan, and she was saying, God, I finally found this guy. But uh, I said, oh, thank goodness, you know, tell me how I can reach him. And she said, well, the good news is I have his number. The bad news is he won't talk to you. And I said, what? She said, he's writing a book and, and he's not talking to anybody. And I said, well, give me his number and I'm going to talk to his assistant. So I, I, I got the number. We pulled over to the side and we, we were driving in, uh, near Palo Alto. And I, uh, got his assistant, and I finally talked her into letting me talk to him directly. And I was saying, Dr. Arthur and blah, 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 and I told him about the research project. And Dr. Arthur said, I'm sorry, I'm tied up, I just can't do it, I really appreciate it, I have to go. And I said, wait, wait, uh, wait a minute, look, this is really important. And I went into another sort of spiel, and he said, okay, Mr. Jaworski, He said, uh, if it's that important, he said, I'll give you two hours this afternoon, and it'll cost you (laughs) $10,000. I I put my hand over the phone. I turned to my my colleague, Otto, and I said, Otto, this SOB wants $10,000 for two hours. And he just said, that's just out of the question. That's just ridiculous. It's totally out of our budget. He said, tell him to go to hell. And I I just uh, hesitated for about two seconds. I took my hand off the phone receiver and said, we'll be there at two. And Uh Uh Otto was saying, what are you doing? And I was saying, Otto, I can't explain it. I just, it was automatic. I just, I said, we'll be there at two. He said, "Look, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do." There was a guy that was head of the project named Gary Jusula, and he said, "You're going to have to call Gary and explain this to him. What What are you doing?" And I said, "I I said I just have an inner knowing. I've got to meet this guy. He's going to open the door." Well, to to this whole answer, cut a long story short. I called Gary, told him what we were doing. He said, "He said cancel the meeting and put it at." At uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm catching the red eye. I'm gonna, if it's really going to be that important, I want to be there. So the guy flew from Houston. The three of us met at, uh, at a place called Park. It's, it's Xerox Park is where Dr. Arthur was working. And he, entr- he uh, led us into this big uh, conference room, and he folded his hands, and he said, Now, Mr. Jorsky what can I tell you about the theory of increasing returns, which is a big, famous uh, economic theory that he had just written about. And I said, no, Dr. Arthur, that's not what, what we're here for. This is what we're here for. And I pulled out that magazine, and I showed him the sidebar. And he, he just sat there in stunned silence, and he said, so this is what you want to talk about. He said, well, instead of two hours, do you have all day? It's going to take six hours for me to tell you about this. I said, yes, sir. And he proceeded to give us the answer to the whole research project right there in in that conference room in one day.
3: How to go from elephant to gazelle. Exactly. Could you... um... Summarize that six hours for us.
1: Well, uh, yes, I can. Actually, we recorded that whole conversation, and it's just fascinating, the whole thing. But uh, the essence of what he was saying was when your teams back at Shell are going to be operating like you did in Waco, because I told him the Waco story. He said, they've got to do three things. They've got to learn to observe, observe, observe. He used the word three times. They've got to to build acute awareness of what's going on in the world. If they're going to resolve the, the toughest problems, facing them, the toughest challenges, if they're going to learn to operate in this way like like you did in, in Waco. Uh, which, because what your team was doing was, uh, was resolving one of the most difficult and challenging issues you could face, is how to save 20 people buried in this rubble. So he said the first coordinate is to observe, observe, observe. The second coordinate is to sense, that is to use your sixth sense and go to that deeper place of knowing that we all have. And the third thing is to act in an instant. Act in an instant. And we model this after uh, just on a big U. So on the left-hand side, we put observe. At the bottom of the U, we put sense, go to that deeper place of knowing. And on the right-hand side, act in an instant. And Bernie, that became a well-known process that has now gone viral worldwide. It's known as the U-process.
3: Amazing, amazing. I'm just thinking about what you just told us about. and kind of stunned by uh, the series of events. And again, we're coming, uh, we have about a minute and a half left in this segment. And the, the way I summarize this for people uh, looking at coincidences in their daily life is the, that impulse you had to talk to Norm uh, as you were walking by, the fact that Norm was able to remember you, Uh, after a 30-second discussion and planted in his head your enthusiasm about scenarios, doing what Norm was doing, Um, and then at the right time for you and the company being asked to go there uh, to to work for the company, and then uh, Fate Magazine, I'll call it, instead of what was the name of the magazine? Fast Company.
1: It, it, it was called Fast Company. Fast
3: Company. I like the F A for fate because that—that's uh, where I started <laughs> making the association. Fate, fast. With drop the S, add an E. Fate. I, I play with things like that. And then you. Yeah. And then. You went, and the guy gave you the answer. So you—that was the best $10,000 your company could have spent, because it gave you not only what you needed to do with the the you idea, but also became something that other people have been able to use around the world. It's amazing, amazing, and wonderful story. So we're coming to the end of this segment. We will be back after a short break, talking with Joseph Jaworski.
0: The earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit FindYourPathHome.com to find these unique and powerful classes.
3: Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. I'm your host, and we are talking with Joseph Jaworski about some amazing coincidences, amazing in the sense of how much an intuitive GPS response on his part, this just going to a deeper sense of knowing and the ability to act in an instant has led him all over the place to some wonderful places uh, that have significance for the future of our planet and humanity. Joseph, uh, one of the key ideas after observing and uh, before uh, w- after observing and before acting is this deeper sense of knowing, uh, and coincidence awareness allows people to tune in to a deeper sense of knowing if they. Know to do that. Would you tell us about what you see as synchronicity and deeper sense of awareness, a deeper sense of knowing, and how we, how other people can get to that deeper sense of knowing, in part through uh, coincidence awareness?
1: Right. Uh, well, so I, I believe there are some real principles that are that that people can follow that will enable these kind of experiences. Yeah. And, The first one is uh, what I call beginner's mind. Yeah. That is an openness and a sense of wonder about everything. So that's number one. It's uh, it's, it's, uh, openness to everything. Are are you following me there?
3: Yep. A child's mind.
1: Yeah, child's mind, openness to everything, and not being a cynic, not you know, seeing something and saying, oh, well, that's not possible. It's like your, your first pitch on the baseball. I mean, you you had to have sort of a childlike sense of wonder that you would be able to hit that first pitch.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And to watch that so, center fielder have to turn around and not catch up with the ball <laughs> it was a wonder. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, and, and this is a quality that uh, I've discovered that the best chief executives in the world have. They walk around with what what uh, I would say are arched eyebrows. They have this sense of wonder about them, the very best ones. Uh-huh. So the second thing is, um, is uh, being able to uh To understand that we are all connected, that everything in the world is connected uh, to to each other and that's human beings and experiences as well and uh, so Einstein called this uh, this normal way that we look at things, which is uh, like everything is separate from one another. Uh, He he called that an optical delusion. Uh, And that's the delusion of separateness. And we're taught that from the time we're in kindergarten, that I'm separate from you and that uh, this object is separate from from the other object. But the fact is uh, the quantum physicists have discovered... That everything is connected to everything else, and furthermore, we are built to connect to one another. and so that's the second principle that that uh, a person has to embrace and, uh, and the the third one is a vital capacity to to trust your instinct and act in an instant, as, as Brian Arthur said. This is a vital capacity uh, to to be able to understand that there are cubic centimeters of chance that show up in your life, just like the Norm Duncan story or just like the Brian Arthur story. And these are tiny cubic centimeters of chance that show up. And if you don't step into that cubic centimeter, it's gone forever. And so... Um, what you have to do is develop this capacity to be deliberately waiting for these opportunities. You have to to build this internal capacity to be alert and wait for them, and then you have to have the speed and the prowess to to pick it up. Um, and and once you step into that cubic, cubic centimeter of chance, just like like looking at At the Fast Company article, I could have just as well, because I was hungry and tired, thrown it down and walked out the door. But uh, I had the capacity to run back in there and say, by God, I'm going to find this guy. And uh, so you have to discover the capacity to do that, and you have to have the courage to act on that.
3: I understand one openness and uh, trusting your instincts and being able to act quickly. It's the uh, everything is connected thing that I am most interested in because a lot of people say everything is connected and the quantum physics is can do that at a quantum level, but what I'm interested in is developing a kind of a map for the ways in which we are connected with each other, because I'm connected to some people much more strongly than I am connected to other people, even though I'm connected with everyone, and I recognize that uh, intellectually and sometimes emotionally, but my connection with certain people is revealed sometimes in coincidences, or the potential for connectedness is revealed in certain coincidences, but then I am connected with. People people who are, not in my, who are not here with me. When my, when my father was uh, choking on his own blood uh, and dying 3,000 miles away uh, in Delaware, I was in San Francisco, and I was choking at the same time uncontrollably. And stories like this are not uncommon that suggest that we are connected, especially to people that we love, in ways that we don't quite understand. So I'm trying to see how you think about this phrase, we're all connected.
1: Okay, good. Well, that's a really great example. I mean, I have. I'll just give you one more example that is not so dramatic, but uh, this uh, person, Susan, who I mentioned, who was my assistant and is now the chief executive of our company yeah. after 23 years. I was. Uh, we had done a big workshop in Boston. And I wanted to go home. I was living in Vermont at the time. And so I got in my car really late at night. It was like almost midnight or, you know, 1130. And I was driving about 1:30 in the morning on the interstate in the, in, and uh, on the way to Vermont. And uh, my car engine blew up. And it was 1:30 in the morning. It was pitch black. And I was drifting to the side of the uh, of the highway. I didn't even know whether I had cell coverage, and I didn't know how I was going to get out of this pickle. And all of a sudden, my cell phone rang, and it was Susan. And she said, "Joseph, what happened?" Uh huh. And I said, "My engine blew up." She said, "That's what I thought." She said, "I'll take care of it." So this shows this kind of connection you, you were having with your father, right?
3: Yes. Yes, uh, I've just had something like that with uh, a friend of mine where I knew something was wrong with her, uh, and I I didn't confirm it, unfortunately, even though I wanted to for various reasons. Uh, I I think these stories are like this. So when we're talking about connecting with uh, other people, um, when I talk about the phrase connecting with coincidence, it's really about connecting with each other. It's connecting with the world around us. And this thing with Susan being able to pick up something from you um, uh, that you were going through uh, is the kind of um, thing I'm talking about. So it's it's not enough anymore to say everything is connected. I think we have to say how we are connected. What 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 are the, the like the bonds are stronger or weaker um, in social network uh, diagrams? We can see how people are connected. It's a beginning way of constructing maps for how that connection works. And I'm trying to see how you think we are all connected, how you visualize or imagine or sense the connection we have, not only with each other but also with the world around us.
1: Yes. So this is really important. Um, I'm glad you're asking about this. It's one thing, and we 've heard these stories forever, like you and your father, you know when you when you have a member of your family or somebody like Susan who's been close to me for years. but this principle operates uh, in other ways i 'm going to give you an illustration now i 'm going to tell you what my understanding of of how this operates is, for example, if you are forming a new venture and uh, you are very committed to it Um, people begin showing up who are brand new people but they're just the right kind of people you need now this is a this is this is called uh the power of attraction and uh and and the principle in physics is is called uh, a, a strange attractor. So, when I'm forming a new venture and I'm holding high intention and high commitment to that, then uh, people start showing up. Doors open that you could hardly imagine. And um, so, so, so you, uh, you and I are on the same page there. You understand what I'm talking about, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Now the
3: Uh, thing is, uh, we're coming to the end of this. I'm sorry, I'm so fascinated by it. I just noticed that we're coming to the end. I'm sorry, we have to be able to end right here with stranger tractors, and maybe we'll have the opportunity to continue this conversation. It's been a delight talking with you, Joseph Jaworski. You are a, a man on the right paths, the the path of awareness. Thank you very much for being on the show.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Bernie.